Hello and welcome to Polytrope, the podcast of many twists, turns, and takes. I'm your host, Nick Barr. New year, new podcast name. It's a working title, but um, basically I want to create a place to work out messy situations, messily process verbally, um, and, and, and walk away with more questions than answers. So this is not a place to finalize an opinion or codify a stance this is kind of the opposite of that this is a place to sort of take many stabs and look at things from many angles and revisit topics many times and the topic that i'll be broaching today and we'll be sure to keep coming to throughout the year is about college admissions college admissions really through the lens of being a tremendous moment in a student's life that has a lot to do with their future outcomes and college admissions as a process that seems to be at least a little broken. Most people I talk to don't uh, object to or disagree with that kind of starting place, that something is not quite right about college admissions. But we all have different ideas around what's broken and how fixable it is. So to get a better uh, understanding of that, I read... Uh, And I'm reading Paul Tuff's book, The Years That Matter Most. And I've done some research. Uh, In addition, um, read a a few reports and essays. The one that I'll probably reference most here is Louis Menon's article for The New Yorker, Is Meritocracy Making Everyone Miserable? So I highly recommend the Tuff book. And uh, we'll be talking about sort of really the first part of it, which is all around the economics of the college admissions process. Um, I guess I'll start here. I had no idea, and it was uh, quite a shock to my system, how, how Harvard works as a business and how elite universities work as a business. I thought that tuition, which is sort of famously high and onerous for families to pay that that must be the the business model i mean like sure there's other things harvard uh might do some partnerships where it's making revenue obviously donors are are a thing but harvard charges a lot to get in students pay and harvard has like a high recurring revenue and it does i mean the through revenue, I think it makes around $350 million a year per student. But as I learned with Paul Tuff's book, Harvard is actually losing money per kid. Harvard uh, and other elite universities spend on average about 150000 bucks per kid per year on just kind of the core academics. Um, just like we're not talking about the food or the football team, we're talking about sort of the core academic experience. So they're losing money on tuition per kid, even for the kids who pay uh, in full, who don't take any financial aid. So that was sort of one of these aha moments where it's like, okay, if Harvard's not making its money through tuition, how is it making its money? And we'll, we'll get to that, but I just want to share that as sort of an impetus or uh, one of the things that sparked my interest in this subject. Um, so 
one of the first questions we might ask about college admissions, and for this podcast, we'll really focus on elite universities, that is like kind of the Ivy Plus schools. Um, Like, does it matter? I mean, we know that going to college matters, but is there really that much of a difference between, let's say, Princeton and uh, Penn State and Clemson and community colleges, a degree, a degree, a degree, or not? And um, I think there was a study done some point in the last decade that maybe suggested that there wasn't that much of a difference, that an elite university didn't really matter that much. But Tuff leads off with a study by Raj Chetty that concludes pretty definitively that that's not the case. Actually, all that parental pressure you're getting that you've got to go to a top school, that's really grounded in some stark economic truths. Uh, Those truths are that Um, If you go to an elite university, you end up having about a one in five chance of landing in the very top 1% of earners. That's making 630,000 plus bucks a year. So a 20% shot of becoming a one percenter if you go to uh, one of these Ivy Plus elite universities. Um, Good news, that likelihood is actually similar for poor kids and rich kids alike. So this isn't an effect of just the rich stay rich. If you grow up poor and go to an elite university, this is a huge game changer for you. Uh, and in fact, like it follows that the poor kids, the poor students, and I'm using poor and rich here very like loosely. Um, but in general, what I mean by that is um, kids growing up in households with the bottom quintile percentage of income, right? Versus kids with the top quintile, or as I just mentioned, top 1%. So um, because the outcomes are so similar, rich kids benefit less from poor kids by going to elite universities. Specifically, if you're growing up poor and you go to an elite university, it has a 14 times impact. You're 14x more likely to end up earning in that top income quintile. If you already grew up wealthy, you're about four times as likely. So there's still a, there's still a, a benefit, but um, I mean, 14 times as likely to become a top earner. That's a huge game changer. Um, so that's kind of, that's, uh, that speaks to the power that these elite universities have. Um, and then I think the, the bad news there in Chetty's conclusion is unfortunately elite universities admit almost none of these students, almost none of the kids, these poor kids who would have a 14 X bump are admitted. And, uh, A typical sort of average at elite universities is two-thirds of students come from top quintile household earners and only 4% come from the bottom quintile. So 67% in the top quintile, 4% in the bottom quintile. I think Princeton is the the worst offender here, has 75% of students coming from households in the top quintile and 2.2% in the lowest quintile. So we've kind of established that elite education matters, um, right? You, you really have a chance of earning a ton of money um, by going to one. You should go to one. And, and it's not just elite universities. It's really kind of a, a strong correlation all the way through with the more selective the university, the more money you're likely to make. And... Um, Selectivity can be calculated in a few ways. SAT score kind of threshold is 
one useful way to think about selectivity. So the higher the average SAT school of the admit, the higher your income will be um, and your lifetime earnings will be. So elite education matters. And elite universities aren't really admitting poor kids. Uh, there's tons of extra stuff we could say and tons of data, but I kind of want to like start with those two premises. And, and I don't think anyone is really disputing either of those, that elite education matters or that elite universities aren't admitting poor kids. Where there's like a little bit of controversy is, uh, is that a problem? And if it is a problem, is it like a huge problem? Is it a small problem? What's the source of the problem? And uh, so I don't know, but I want to think about it and talk about it and maybe walk away with some questions that I have to form a better opinion. So Louis Menand in his piece uh, kind of comes to the conclusion that, look, it, it is a problem, elite universities are not as equitable as they could be, but um, he kind of concludes it's not a huge problem. And Louis Menon, not to like zing him, but he's a teacher at Harvard. And he says, quote, this idea, the idea that there's something horrible going on here and, and um, the path to reform is through elite universities, this idea rests on an error of scale. The most highly selective universities enroll less than one half of 1% of all college students in the United States, right? So one half of 1% of college students go to these elite universities. So his point is like, yeah, you can reform anything. You could reform who they're admitting, legacy, donor offspring. You could reform all sorts of stuff, but like the impact there would be negligible. And so there's a little bit of a red herring. Like when we pick on these elite universities, we're sort of, um, well, he doesn't say this, but I could extend the argument. We're sort of like playing out a fantasy of elitist power. Like, yeah, there are some really elite schools that are permitting, uh, uh, admitting elite kids, but like that's a really small part of the problem. And the real problem is public schools and public funding of higher ed. And let's let's go figure out how to solve that problem. Um, and when it comes to uh, higher ed spending, it's, it's interesting if you look at a study that Paul Tuff shares, um, unselective schools or the least selective schools, spending per student has been pretty much flat for the last 50 years. So the least selective schools we're spending about 4000 bucks a kid in 1967 and in 2017. And that's adjusted for inflation. In 2017, it's the same. So it's, it's about flat. And I think somewhat selective schools, it's more like 10K per student. But the elite universities in 1967 were spending 17000 bucks a kid. And 50 years later, they're spending 150000 so almost 10 times as much over the last 50 years. So elite universities are spending more and more on their students. We're not seeing the same um, across the board. So Menand is saying like, hey, like, stop picking on the elite universities. Let's start figuring out how we uh, fund education at uh, public schools. And I think that's that's a totally fair point. But he goes on to make uh, a few extra points that I think are completely wrong, and we'll talk about why. 
He says, Stanford and Princeton don't look for future hedge fund managers or corporate lawyers when they put together a class. They look for people who, among other things, will take advantage of the educational experience they offer. And he goes on to blame businesses. It's businesses that are recruiting from those colleges which have fetishized the Ivy Plus credential. If we really want different kinds of people to get those jobs, maybe we should ask those firms to take half their new employees from the bottom quintiles. So here he's sort of moving the problem to um, the corporate world. And again, you can see this sort of, this is what happens when you deal with big, messy problems. It's sort of like a not-my-fault approach. And and I don't think that Menand is wrong to bring attention to higher education in um, the public sector and to um, the corporate world. Um, but I, I do think he's being way too flip about what's happening at um the Ivy Plus, the higher ed uh, elite schools. He goes on to dismiss legacy preference. Um, He says, like, you know, again, that would make a tiny difference in the world if universities didn't uh, take legacy kids. Uh, And he admits, look, some colleges rely on alumni loyalty in order to survive financially and in turn to provide financial aid. Would they too be expected to eliminate legacy preferences? And that was a sentence that really like raised alarm bells for me. Some colleges rely on alumni loyalty in order to survive financially and in turn to provide financial aid. So that brings us full circle to the beginning of this podcast where we mentioned that Harvard and, and other Ivy Plus schools um, lose money per kid. And in fact, like um, it turns out that Harvard has about a $40 billion endowment. So at $40 billion, I think it would be like, I guess, what, 1% of their endowment to just, would it be even 1%? Um, I mean, just do the math. Tuition is like a negligible uh, factor there, right? So uh, I think probably their interest on that endowment could probably cover tuition. So it's just it's just a huge revelation for me and I'm embarrassed that it's a revelation maybe you all already knew this, but Harvard and these other schools they don't they don't make money off their tuition. They make money off their endowment. And Tuff tells the story of Harvard's latest um uh, you wouldn't call it a fundraising round, but you call it a, a donor campaign. In their latest donor campaign, in five years, they raised uh, $9 billion. And so this is where I want to understand more. But it sure seems like they raised the majority of that $9 billion through very, very wealthy people donating huge amounts of money, uh, $300 million checks, $400 million checks. Um, And I would love to see that distribution. I'm excited to dig deeper into what that campaign look like. But my current understanding is that not some colleges, but all elite universities depend largely on donor campaigns from billionaires or hundred millionaires to survive and grow their endowment. So that's like a big uh, belief that I have. I, I need to I need to confirm it. But if that belief is right, then kind of simply through following the money, it completely refigures how you would think about an elite university's 
admissions process, right? And like this isn't about individuals um, having bad intent or anything like that. But if your business depends on wealthy donors contributing huge amounts of money, then what do you do? Well, you need to spend a huge amount of money on your students to attract the kids of those potential donors, right? So like, um, I'm Harvard, I'm competing with Yale and Princeton and these other elite universities, and I really want um, this um, kid who's coming from uh, a, a very wealthy family to attend. And, and I don't just want that kid to attend. I want all the really promising kids to attend, all the kids who are debating what Ivy League school they should go to. I want them to choose mine. And so one of the ways I can attract them is by essentially offering like a luxury good. Um, and it's not just about like lobster at the lunch hall or something like that. It's also about spending a shitload on the kid's education. Um, and so what we see is like this uh, hockey stick growth in spending per, per kid um, at these schools, right? Going from 17000 to 150000 bucks, And I would expect that to just grow because I need these kids to join my schools. Um, and as we're seeing, that's reflected in those distributions. I mean, we're just not seeing any improvement in the distribution of um, low-income versus high-income households attending. So it's, it's getting worse. In 2013, um, Harvard had... 15% um, kids from families making under 40%, and that went down to 12% in 2017. Um, meanwhile, the families earning over 500000 went up from 14% to 17%. Um, these numbers aren't moving, and, if, and when they are moving, they're moving in the wrong direction in terms of equity. So schools just simply can't afford to bring in kids from lower-income families because lower-income families aren't the families that produce billionaires. They might be, and we'll, we'll definitely take a few, right? Like we'll take a waiver on a few of these kids and hope that they turn out great. But if our business depends on billionaires donating money, then we need to accept billionaires' kids. We need to accept the kids who are most likely to become billionaires. And the kids who are most likely to become billionaires are the kids who grew up in families or within networks where billionaires are produced. And again, even if I'm going to go explore outside that space, uh, I really want these kids to become billionaires. So I think Menand is just completely wrong when he says that these schools don't look for future hedge fund managers. They might not explicitly admit kids who on their uh, application say, "We, I, I, my passion is um, making money. I'm really fascinated by the economy, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I, I'm not saying that, but their business simply depends on huge donations. Um, and then I think the, the other thing that I would say is when I explore, like, is this a big problem or is this not a big problem, is Menon keeps saying, like, well, you're, this is a problem of scale. You know, you're, you're looking at a, a half of 1% of all college students. And, and that's right, but um, just because it's a small number of people doesn't mean it's a small number of capital. And so I'd be really interested in, of those students, that half of 1%, um, what percentage of total uh, wealth do they represent in the country? And I would imagine it's pretty high. I would imagine it's a lot higher than a half of 1%. Um, so that's another thing I'd like to do is understand like, um, sure, it's a, it's an error of scale in terms of like number of kids, but I don't think it's an error of scale in terms of amount of power. 
And if all the power is wrapped up in those elite universities and um, is sort of on a vicious cycle of power spends money to attract and create more power that spends money to attract and create more power, then it's pretty interesting to think about how that could possibly change. I don't think there's a path where you distribute the power differently through, um, I don't know, giving more money to um, higher ed public schools. I also don't think you can strong arm corporations into changing their tactics. I, I, I do think that there probably are some solutions, and I do think that that vicious cycle can't continue unabated forever. Um, at some point, the universities are either going to spend themselves into trouble or um, the life at these universities will become so disconnected with reality that um, society in general will sort of like turn away from them. So I think there are a few paths, and I'm excited to learn more. But I do think that uh, there is a significant problem here, and it's not clear how it will be fixed. And I, I think, if anything, I would say it's clear that elite universities simply aren't in a position to fix it, that it's more likely that um, they will run into some sort of wall than they will reform from within. And the reason I'm skeptical about reform from within is just because of the dependence on wealthy donors. So that's where I'm at. Uh, so much more to learn and to explore. And one book that I'm really excited to read next is Winners Take All by Anand Giridharadas. I'm, I'm really butchering that one. I think it's Anand Giridharadas. Um, I did look up the pronunciation and then tried to read it <laughs> quickly and screwed it up. But anyway... Uh, this book, Winners Take All, is, uh, from what I gather, a pretty incisive look at the philanthropy business. And um, I'm excited to look at it in, in part because as we start this nonprofit that's seeking to connect kids with opportunities, we have to think deeply about um, our own budget and how we create a sustainable business. Um and uh, of course, having a $40 billion endowment is a great problem to have, but it is a problem if it depends on the continued injections from wealthy donors who have a tremendous impact over uh, the, the admissions process. So I'll stop there for now. I do recommend Paul Tuff's book. It has, it's about so much more than this particular sliver of the problem. It's a very human take on the admissions process. And I, I think like one closing thought there is keep in mind that as these schools are beholden to more spending and more sort of ostentatious delivery of an elite education system, they, they become more alienating to the kids who even do attend them, right? And so even that X percent of kids from the lower income households who do get in, their experience is becoming more and more uh, uh, bizarre. And it's, it's a troubling extra chapter in the long, long book of things that stress kids out at this age, as if the process weren't stressful and difficult enough in terms of just taking the SAT and applying to colleges and having all the peer and family pressure associated with that, then you finally do get in and you, uh, unless you grew up either wealthy or going through what 
is called sort of the privileged poor experience going up um, to private high schools and and sort of you're inured to this society unless, unless you're in that group then you go to college and you're like wait where are my people um, and uh, tough uh, through kind of journalism and interviews and really kind of a human look at that process does a great job of exposing um, how difficult it can be going to an elite university um, and immersing yourself in this culture that doesn't look or feel anything like the culture that uh, you might have known for your whole life. So check that book out. More to come on the college admissions process, scholarships, opportunities at large, and hopefully uh, some ideas around how to improve it coming up soon. See you next time.